Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now, on the same occasion, that just means that we're in the same situation as we were in chapter 12. Chapter 12, Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders, and he's been talking to them about death and about the judgment of the kingdom of God to come. Okay, so that's the context. So we know in chapter 13 that on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, that's Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans are sinners than all other Galileans, because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed, that they were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? Again, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all perish. Lord, we give you this time. And for the next, oh, 20 minutes, would you help us to, uh, to turn, off, turn off those things in our hearts and in our minds that would distract us from what Jesus has to say? Would you help us to shut off the burdens? Would you help us to shut off all the excuses, even, Lord, that are in our head for why we don't need to listen to this man, Jesus. And Lord, would you help us just to be honest? Would you help us to listen to our conscience this morning? Father, that's all I can ask to declare your word. That we would give you an honest chance to speak to the depths of our heart. Lord, would you do that this morning? And for those of us who know you, we will not only pray for those around us, but we will pray for ourselves that, uh, that we, won't, we won't leave this place the same. That we will be closer to you than we were when we walked in these doors. We pray this for the sake of your glory and for the sake of your fame. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the setup. Jesus is in a situation where he's teaching to these religious leaders and uh, there are those in the crowd. There are those in on, bring up an issue. Uh, they bring up a situation. Really, it's a situation that historically we don't know a whole lot about. But here it is. They say to Jesus that there were some Galileans, Jewish Galileans. Uh, apparently, these Galileans would come down a couple times a year. They would come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. And on one occasion, Pilate, uh, gets into their midst, some theologians believe that he has Roman guards, Roman soldiers, dressed in plain clothes with concealed weapons, go into the crowd of Galileans who have entered Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, and that he has murdered some of these Galileans. And so that's the, that's the issue that arises here from these religious leaders. And they, and they basically just lay it at his feet, and they say, Jesus, what do you, what do you think about this? I mean, look at this awful... Thing that has happened. Pilate has spilled the blood of Jews. And it is mixed with our sacrifices. How terrible. What a tragedy. Jesus, what do you think about this? Now, now here's, the, here's the issue. And Jesus has to be wise about how he replies. Here's the thing. If Jesus says, you know what? Pilate, he's a murderer. He's evil, and what he has done, I condemn. He should have never killed 
our fellow Jews like this? What do you think is going to happen? Well, that news is going to get his way to Jerusalem. It's going to get ahead of Jesus and it's going to go and find its way to Pilate, to be sure. You see, these religious leaders, they're looking. They're looking to incriminate Jesus. And so if Jesus says, yeah, Pilate's the bad guy, then they have reason to go before Pilate and say, Pilate, listen, this guy is a, uh, he's going to cause trouble. And you need to watch out for him. Listen to what he said about you. Or on the other hand, if Jesus says, well, you know what? Uh, Pilate did what he had to do. Whatever reason, he dismisses Pilate's sin. For whatever reason, he lets Pilate go as anything less than a murderer. They can say that he is against his fellow Jews. And he can then, uh, the religious leaders can then go to their people and say, listen, he's not for us, he's against us. In his actions, his murderous actions. And so either way, Jesus is kind of in a spot. Says something about Pilate, he's in trouble with Rome. Says something about the Galileans, and he's in trouble with his own people. Either way, the religious leaders think they've got him. Jesus does something interesting. He raises the bar a little bit. And he says, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you. Instead, I want to talk to you about your sin. Now, we don't know from Luke's account of what these religious leaders said. Their full motivation. We don't know their full heart. Let me tell you how we do know their full heart. We know their full heart. We know their motivation. We know their attitude Jesus gives. We look at verse 2 again. Verse 2, he says, And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose? The idea is that they do suppose. The idea is that the way they've posed this situation is that they believe exactly that. Do you suppose, and they do, that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Here's, uh, they brought this case to Jesus and they said, listen, look at what happened to these guys. I mean, Jesus, you're talking about death and you're talking about judgment here. I mean, you want to you talk about death and judgment? Look at how God has judged these Galileans who came down to offer sacrifice. And Pilate went in, sent his secret guys in there and killed them. I mean, that's terrible. That's tragedy. I wonder what those guys did wrong. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the old story of Job. Job loses everything, and his buddies come to him and say, Job, you know, you need to confess your sin. I don't know what you did, but you did something to offend God, that he would, that he would uh, bring down this wrath upon you, that this fate would befall you. It's the same idea. These religious guys, the church of the day, they said, man, I don't know what these guys did, but they must have done something. And Jesus says, do you, do you really suppose, do you really think that these were any worse off than all the other Galileans? And really what he was saying is, do you suppose that these were any worse sinners than you yourselves? Jesus answers three. I tell you, no. No, that's not the case. But unless you repent... The inference is because you are just as sinful. Unless you repent, then what? You will all likewise perish. Now Jesus is going to take it a step further. Raise the level of tragedy here. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. Or do you suppose, let me give you another scenario, that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed... Now, he brings up another issue here that, again, historically we don't have a whole lot of information. This is the only account. But apparently there was a tower 
uh, Salome is a real place. There was a pool underneath the, this tower, at the bottom of this tower. Uh, Rome would have built viaducts for them in this location. But we don't know about this specific event. But we know this place is real. And from this context, we know that apparently the tower fell. And there were those under it, at least 18, who died. Not at the hand of an evil man. Not at the hand of an evil dictator. Not at the hand of an un... But by natural disaster. The tower falls and these men die. So Jesus says, what about this? What about this scenario? Keep going. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed, that they were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Also notice that he's gone from Galilee, Jerusalem, the religious hub of the day. And he says, let's not just talk about those guys from Galilee and about their sin. Let's talk about the sin of the holy city right here where we are, right here where you are. And do you suppose that when that tower fell by no act of man, do you suppose that who are under it, apart from the men who maybe escaped, who were just feet away, do you think they were worse sinners than these who, who saved their life? Look at his response. I tell you, verse 5, no. But unless you repent, turns it right back to the audience, you repent, you will all likewise perish. Word for word, the same as verse 3. Did you notice that he didn't say, unless you repent, uh, Pilate's probably going to kill you too. Unless you repent, there's going to be a tower that falls on you. He says, no, unless you repent, you know what the more important thing is? You're going to die. And so the question isn't, why did these people die like this? I mean, what was in their heart? What kind of sin did they have that they would die like this? Jesus says, no, the question is, why have you been allowed to live as long as you have? You know, often when we uh, face tragedies coming out of a couple tragedies recently, uh, Virginia Tech, there are those who will look and say, you know, uh, and actually I, I heard a guy on the radio, uh, a politician, talking about the state of Virginia. And he actually said that it probably deserved this tragedy because of their stance on gun laws. That this have a gun is probably the fault of the state that stands to allow men and women to carry guns. And I just thought, how ridiculous. What kind of thinking, what kind of rationale is that? It's ridiculous. But some reason our minds go there. For some reason we, we tend to think that way. Just like Job's friends. And I wonder if God was bringing that punishment upon them. Let me say this at this point. This text doesn't answer that question, folks. So I'm not going to try and answer it, but I will say this. We need to be careful in situations where we have limited information. And in times like that, in times like this, in times like Virginia Tech, we don't know. We don't know the providence of God. We don't know the plan of God. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know the spiritual warfare. We don't know. And so let me just say, hey, let's be careful not to assume, not to assume what the plans of God are, not to assume what the providence of God, 
might be on someone who, whose life ends way, we simply just don't know. And so for us to speak, for us to assume, for us to presume what God is thinking and what God is doing would be foolishness. So here's what Jesus does. He says, listen, I don't know about the Galileans. And I don't know about this tower that fell. Most don't know. But here's what I do know. That unless you ask yourself the hard questions, the same fate, maybe not in the same vein, maybe not in the same way, the same ultimate fate is going to befall you. And unless you repent, likewise perish. It may not be in tragedy, but you will die. The question isn't, Jesus, why do these people have to die like this? Maybe the question in our heart should be, you know, one day I'm going to die. And when tragedy hits, even like Virginia Tech, it should spark us to say, what a terrible, it is only by the grace of God that I have this next day to live myself. Could happen here. And our attitude should be grateful for the day we have. Our attitude should be that we look forward to the day that, yes, no matter how. And in the context of Jesus' previous discussion, death and the judgment to come, he says, listen, death will come. Don't get caught up in the whys and the hows and the whens. The bigger question is, will you be ready? Now he's going to tell a parable that Jesus uses here in verse 6. And he began telling them this story. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it eat the ground? And he answered and said, to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, then fine. But if not, cut it down. Now let me just give you the interpretation here without beating around the bush. Let me just parallels for you. As Jesus tells this story to the religious leaders, those Jewish leaders of this called nation of Israel who were to be lights in a dark world, who were to take the light of God and to spread it abroad to all the nations, were to be the lighthouse to all the Gentiles and his fame and his salvation. He says, a man had a fig tree. That man is God. God had a fig tree. His fig tree was the nation of Israel. God had the nation of Israel. And he planted that fig tree in his vineyard. God gave the nation of Israel the promised land, a land flowing with milk. God had a fig tree, and he planted them in a land where he expected them to flourish, to bear sweet fruit. Okay? And he came looking for the fruit on that tree. 
But sadly, at the end of verse 6, it says he did not find it. God had Israel. He planted it in his vineyard. He planted them in the promised land. He expected them to bear sweet fruit, to be a blessing in the land they were in, to be a blessing to the nations. And God looked in upon that nation to see if they were bearing the fruit that they were intended to bear, if they were being a blessing to those Gentile nations. I have not found the fruit that was expected. Verse 7, And he said to the vineyard keeper, Who do you think the vineyard keeper is? That's Jesus. Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. You know, a fig tree, uh, oftentimes if you had a vineyard, you would have these odd, and they would take advantage of those odd corners and they would plant a fig tree. They would plant a fig tree in the corner and a fig tree would bloom. And uh, I'm not a green thumb, but the standard was for a fig tree, at least in this culture and at least in this area of the country, that you had to wait three years to see if the fig tree was actually going to bear real fruit. It would bear fruit, but the figs would not be ripe. It would take for this season's figs to ripen. So the text says that for three years I've been waiting and watching. Is this fruit going to ripen? Is it going to turn out to be anything worthwhile? He says after three years, the time allotted for me to wait, the vineyard keeper, the farmer, if you will, to wait patiently. I mean, can you, wait? Can you imagine planting a tree in your backyard and, and thinking, you know, it's going to be three years planted an orange tree, it's going to be three years before I get one orange off of that. But I've got to maintain it. I've got to fertilize it. I've got to, do, I've got to prune it. I've got to care for it. I've got to do all the things I've got to do. But it's going to be even up to three years before this thing bears fruit. After that third year and the fourth year, all that fruit was to be offered to God. So it, wasn't the fifth, it was the fifth year before the farmer, the vineyard keeper, could potentially even have any fruit. God has a fig tree. It's Israel planted it in the promised land, expected fruit to come from it, that they would be a blessing to the nations. He says to the vineyard keeper, for three years we've been waiting, watching, designated amount of time. We've given them plenty of time to bear fruit, fruit of blessing. Have they done it? They haven't. So what do you do with a fruit that doesn't, with a tree that does not bear fruit? You cut it down. You know, it's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, the nation of Israel had laws about trees they could cut down. And if there were three to bear fruit, they were not allowed to cut it down. But if it was barren, if it didn't bear fruit, they were free to cut it down. They were free to cut it down. Be patient. Wait. Take every opportunity. Watch for fruit. Watch for fruit. Watch for fruit. God says, I don't, I don't see any. Uh, how long was the ministry of Jesus on this earth? Three years. God says, cut it down. To the nation of Israel, cut it down. Now it's interesting. Let me give you a little background on the whole book of Luke. Chapter 13 is sort of a turning point for the book. This is the place in this gospel which nation is set to the side. It's like this. If God uh, had a football team, if there were first string and second string, and the first string quarterback failed to do his job, what eventually happens? You eventually take Michael Vick out, and you bring in the second string, and you put him in the game, and you say, you know what, you're going to sit on the bench. 
because you're not doing your job. Beckon string guy. And I'm going to make you jealous with him, number one. And number two, I'm going to use him and he's going to be fruitful and we're going to win games. Historically, this is what God has done with the nation of Israel. Can I give you a quick lesson on where the nation of Israel is right now? When they rejected Jesus, and we're at that point in the Gospel of Luke, when they rejected Jesus as Messiah, God was patient and patient. Prophets, he sent prophets, he sent John the Baptist, he sent Jesus himself. And when they finally, the last straw fell, they would not receive their king. He says, okay, we're going to take out the first string guy. We're going to set the nation of Israel to the side. He's not done with them. That story comes later. But he says, we're going to call in a new player, the Gentile. I will make you jealous with a people who are not a people in a nation that is no nation. Sets the first string out of the side. Says to the nation of Israel, you're benched. Brings in the church, the Gentiles. And now, as we live, we are in this parenthesis. This time where God has said that I will be patient. I will be long merciful before judgment comes. But one day, no. One day, no. That for those who bear no fruit, no fruit of specifically repentance, as he's discussed in the earlier verses, then that tree will be cut down. Vineyard Keeper says, I love this verse. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding it. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Meaning, it's not only not bearing fruit, but it's taking up the space of a fruitful tree. I could put in another tree and actually bear fruit from it. But look at what Jesus says. And he said, Let it alone, sir, for this year too. Literally, that means till the end of this year, till winter comes. Because at winter, I will dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, then fine. But then if it doesn't, we'll cut it down. Do you see the patience of God right here? Jesus, on behalf of mankind, says, let's wait a little longer. Let's wait a little longer. It's the picture of Abraham with his cousin Lot, or his nephew Lot. It's the picture of Moses and Aaron with the nation of Israel trapped in Egypt. God be merciful. God be merciful. Let's wait a little longer and see. I'll go in this winter and I'll dig around and I'll, I'll trim back. I'll smoke the tree to get all the insects off of it. I'll do whatever I need to do. So hopefully they will turn and will repent. And they will bear fruit. And if they do, then we win. If they don't, then yes, we will cut it down. Preston used uh, one of my favorite texts, Igniter, this past week. 2 Peter 3.9. Let me read this to you. 2 Peter 3.9 says, well, I'm going to start at the beginning so that you can hear the whole thing. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Meaning, says he's going to do. I mean, is he going to judge this world? Is he going to judge evil? Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Does our world say this today? You know, Jesus is long gone. And all the prophecies, etc., etc., everything that you say is going to happen, Christian. I mean, none of it's happened yet, so maybe that means it's never going to happen. 
For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and the earth being reserved for fire. Evil has kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Will God judge evil? He will. Verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape you. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. When will God judge evil? We don't know. Not on our time frame. But the fact is He will judge evil. Look at why. See the next verse? Verse 9, The Lord is not slow about His promise. King James says slack. The Lord is not slack about His promises as some count slackness. But here's what He is doing, guys. He is patient toward who? The world. He is patient towards you. It's very specific. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to, you know what it says? Repentance. Repentance. All right, let me tie this together. What is God doing right now? I mean, we've got tragedies in our day. We're wondering what's going on. What is God doing? Jesus teaches us through this parable. Number one, let's examine ourselves. Have we repented? Have we repented? Because we know that we will too likewise perish. He says, let me tell you a story to help you get a grip on what's going on here and understand what God has been doing throughout history. God has had a fig tree in his vineyard and he expected it to bear fruit. And when it didn't, he said, cut it down. But we were patient. We were patient. You know how long it was from the death of Jesus to the actual destruction of Jerusalem? It was another 40 years down. Patience. Jesus said, listen, God is in the business of not being slack about His promises. He will judge evil. You need to know a couple things about it, though. God's not on your timeline. His days are not numbered like your days. And number two, you can rest that he is being patient for a reason. Why haven't we been cut down yet, God, is the question they should ask and the question we should ask. Why hasn't tragedy befallen us? Why are we so lucky? Why? Listen, the only answer is God is being patient. His desire is that none would perish, but that all would come intense. Unless ye repent, you will also likewise. Perish. Oh, do you see the heart of God? The heart of God is not that He's ignoring the evil of our day. The heart of God is that He's probably, I don't know, this is my thought, that He's on His throne, holding Himself back, restraining Himself, His self to be patient, because He would love to jump down into our world and set things right. But because He is merciful, because He is Loving, he is restraining himself from judging evil. It always, uh, it always makes me chuckle and it also makes, makes me worry a little bit. 
when I hear people say, you know, I wish God would just come on and judge evil men. I wish God would come down and fix this thing. I mean, why does he let things like Virginia Tech happen? Why does he let things like 9-11 happen? I mean, why does he let disease and all this stuff go on? Why does he let children die? I wish he would just come down and fix things. If God is God... The only problem with that is, listen, when God comes, and He will, He's coming to fix it all. Amen? And the question on our heart should be not, when, when God are you going to come fix these bad guys over here? But we should understand, communicate to these so-called religious folks, we need to understand that we have our own sin repent of. We have our own sin to repent of. So be careful when you ask God to come and do what He's going to do one day in judgment. Because when He judges, He's going to judge it all. And He's going to judge. Amen? That is a scary day. You know what's great about God throughout your Bible? I always laugh when I hear people say that, that God in the Old Testament was a vengeful murderous, uh, angry God. I chuckle because the truth is they don't know their Bible. They don't. Throughout history, folks, God has been showing us His patience. Anytime you can go through your whole Bible, anytime that judgment is going to be declared on humanity, there is always, always a period of grace, a period of God's Patience. couple here. The nation of Israel trapped in Egypt. Judgment is going to fall on Egypt. God is patient. He is patient. He gives them opportunity after opportunity to let his people go. He gives them ways out. If you kill a lamp, uh, paint the door on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over. You will be saved. always comes before judgment. Um, What about Joshua and Rahab? Joshua chapter 2. Before the nation of Israel goes in to take the promised land, they send in spies and they get out a Gentile woman. Mercy always comes before judgment. God is patient. What about Noah? You remember the story of Noah? To build that ark. A long time. Declaring, a flood is coming, a flood is coming, a flood is coming. Judgment is coming. Repent. Repent. Mercy of God. Incidentally, do you know uh, who the oldest person, I'll give you a trivia question, oldest person to ever live was? Methuselah. Yeah, we get the old adage, he's old as Methuselah. Methuselah lived for, to live to uh, 969, I think. Do you know why Methuselah lived so long? You ever wondered? wonder why that guy got to live so long. Can I tell you why? Methuselah's name means, check this out, judgment is coming. Who was said, walked with God to such a degree that God called him straight up to heaven. He didn't even die. Named his son at the instruction of God, judgment is coming. By God's mercy, his father was removed before judgment. And before judgment comes, you say, what judgment? What judgment? Do you know who Methuselah's only grandson was? Anybody? Noah. What judgment is coming? 
the flood. Judgment is coming. So Methuselah is walking around here for 969 years. Why does this guy get to live so long? The patience and mercy of God. Hey, judgment is coming, world. As long as Methuselah is walking around, hey, judgment is coming. Did you know? And I'm going to live a long time just so that you all get the message, just so that you understand how patient God is being towards you, that none would perish, but that all might come to repentance. If my people, it was said of Israel, who are called by my name, they would only humble themselves, turn from the God was always willing. Last two verses of the Old Testament. I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. The last word of God between Old and New Testament is, I'm going to send you another guy to warn you. Before the great and terrible day of judgment comes. Mercy. God is good. You get to the New Testament, you run into... Guys like John the Baptist, who said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yet Jesus, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You get the twelve disciples, the apostles, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You get the church age, in which our job is to declare to this world, judgment is coming, repent. We don't know the day, and we don't know how. But rest assured, God is not slack about His promises. He will judge man. He will cut the tree down. No fruit. No fruit of repentance. The tree will be cut down. Let me close here. Let me give you a little poem from the late, great prophet, theologian, Johnny Cash. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news and wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me in the voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. He called my name and my heart stood still when he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long liar and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell them that God's going to cut them down. Tell them that God's going to cut them down. Well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. You can run on. For a long time. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. I wonder where Johnny got that verse. Let's pray. God, you are, you are too good to us. And the story of history is the story of your patience. The story of history is the story of your kindness and your tolerance. The story of history is that you are, you are a good and holy and yet just God. And Lord, there are those of us who are running on. 
and we look at those who fall around us and we philosophize about why their fate came. But at the end of the day and at the end of our life, only one thing will be. I wonder if I'm ready. Father, I pray as Paul prayed that we would not take lightly the great riches of our God's kindness and tolerance as if we didn't understand that the kindness of God was meant for us to repent. Lord, you're on the edge of your throne today. And in this parentheses of the church age, we declare that all men repent. That long-tongued liar, the midnight rider, the backbiter, all of us, God, who think that we are righteous on our own, we think we're okay. The truth is, we have fallen. None of us are righteous. No, not one. None of us are perfect. No, not one. There are none who can stand before you as our holy creator without falling on our face in shame and guilt. Lord, we have lied. We have cheated. We have stolen. We have lusted in our hearts. We have thinking that our days are not numbered. Thinking that death will not knock on our door one day. Lord, I pray that for those who sit under my voice this morning, that that day, that great and terrible day of the Lord, that day in judgment, Lord, I pray that it would not come until each of us has made our peace made our peace with the God who created us, the God we've turned our backs on, the God that we've not honored in our days here on this earth. Oh, Lord, thank you for being patient. Thank you for being merciful and tolerant. Lord, I thank you that your heart is such that you would not desire that any of us perish in our sins, but that all men might repent. This day, Father. Amen. If that's you this morning, if today God has spoken to you, maybe for the first time, about eternal things, can I tell you maybe that uh, you don't know all the answers and things are colliding in your mind but there's something that is there's something that's pricked your heart this morning the spirit of God has gotten your attention in a way maybe that he hasn't gotten your attention before would you just would you just let him in would you put your pride to the side would you put your peace that you came up with maybe all on your own? Would you put them to the side? Would you let the Holy Spirit of God speak to your hearts this morning?
And if that is you, would you not leave here today without grabbing Preston or grabbing myself and just saying, if that's the God of this world, if that's the great, holy, and yet merciful God, then I want to know Him. I want to know Him. Yeah. We're going to sing and we'll be dismissed.